we've given up on church, but not on God. If you'd like to learn more about our locations in Huntersville, Davidson, and Denver, North Carolina, you can check us out online at lakeforest.org. Thanks! Well, uh, boy, what a fun way to highlight uh, next Sunday. Uh, next Sunday, you will not want to miss it. A real highlight for us this year. Once a year, once a year, we take a Sunday, we gather here, and we disperse to be the church on the move. And it is a reminder that the church is not a building. The church is not a gathering. You are the church. And Jesus said that you want to be great in this world, you've got to be a servant of all. And we're going to go out and serve as a community. If you are not yet signed up, at the end of the service, we're going to have some folks standing right back by these doors here with phones. They can sign you up on the spot. Simple. It takes 60 seconds. You can sign up on your phone today. Simply go to lakeforest.org forward slash Westlake. There's a button there. It will take you to Sign Up Genius. You don't have to have an account. You can look through the 20 different projects. I wish I had time to tell you about all of these. Some of these might not seem that glamorous. Uh, There might be just simple things, but here's what I want you to know. Sometimes the simplest thing is the most profound. We've been trusted, entrusted by a number of families from DSS here in Lincoln County, Department of Social Services. These are families in need. And uh, I just feel so humbled that, that our, our, our public officials would even entrust these families to us. And we're going to love on them. We're going to serve them as best as we can in whatever way we can. Other serving opportunities are organizations at schools. I sign up for a team. Uh, I uh, am going to be going t- with the team that's going to be painting a basketball court at a school, uh, a, a secondary school for folks who, well, they just needed a second chance over in Lincoln County. And we're just going to be trying to beautify the spot there just showing them that we see them and that we're proud of them. So whatever team might work for you, get on a team. Don't miss it. Westlake Serves is going to be awesome. Uh, one last question. Sometimes I'll get this. Aaron, what about my friends or neighbors that don't go to church or they, they, you know, they, they like this kind of stuff? They don't ever want to come and hear you. I totally get that. Uh, this is a perfect opportunity to invite your friends, they, your family. Anyone can come to this. Uh, and so extend that invitation. Let's make this the best Westlake Serves Yet, uh, I can't wait to see what God's going to do next Sunday, 9 a.m. to 12.30. We're still going to get you out of here to weep as you watch your football team lose. So uh, don't miss it. Sign up today. On the way out, if you do not have time to sign up at the table, we're going to have some folks who are going to hand you a card with the list of all the teams so that you can do this uh, during lunch uh, or, or this afternoon. Uh, but don't miss out. Get on a team today. Okay, well, uh, before we get into the message today, I'm still laughing at Hans and Franz, that's unbelievable. Uh, I wanted y'all to hear, uh, begin to hear some of the stories. We're going to be hearing stories over the next couple weeks, but I want you to hear some of the stories coming back from our two mission teams that went out recently to serve in the Bahamas and in Haiti. Today we're going to hear from our Bah- some Bahamas folks, so would you help welcome mother and daughter duo, Carrie and Carly Patterson. Come on up, come on up. I'll let y'all sit right here. Or you there. There's fine too. That works. Don't worry. There we are. I'm going to get my notes though. So y'all were a part of this crazy mother-daughter team that went to the Bahamas. How many were total on your team? Thirteen. 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 And let's see, five of those or six of those were teenagers? Five. Five of them. So Awesome. Awesome. And uh, was this the first mission trip you'd ever been on, you guys? Yes, both. First for both of you. Now, when you first heard, hey, uh, we're going to the Bahamas, 
Uh, like, what, what went through your mind? Because uh, when I think of Bahamas, I think of, like, beach and swimming pools and little umbrella drinks. I think that's what everyone else thinks, too, because everyone, when we were fundraising, they were like, oh, the Bahamas, that doesn't really sound like a mission trip. Um, I, I have seen parts of other islands, so I knew what it was going to be about, but I didn't really know what I was in for. Yeah, well, when we talked, you said you saw incredible beauty, but you also saw just some incredible depravity and poverty as well. Tell us a little bit about that. So um, one day we had an event for the children after school, and we had some lunches that um, we had lunches provided for the kids, and we had a lot left over. So we packaged them up, and one of the students who was kind of a helper, she um, led us into her neighborhood to bring the packaged foods, and she brought us to the family she knew was in need. But um, I think what really struck us was the walk in there. So we started in another neighborhood called the Peas, and we went through, like, it's kind of like a jungle. Um, there was trees on either side, but the whole thing was lined with garbage. And there were, like, cars that were just had been there for years and totally piled up with garbage. And I could see the kids in front of me holding their noses because it just stank. It was so bad smelling. And, um, and so I think that was, like, our first entrance into the neighborhood. And it's called the mud because it's unlivable. There's, um, when it rains, it just causes flooding and there's mud all the time. So they really shouldn't be building any kind of structures there. Yeah. Um, but everybody was outside and, you know, welcoming us. And, yeah, well, Carly, you, you, you shared this. I'm going to have your mom hand you the microphone. Um, but you shared this with me. I thought this was so profound. Walking into this mud village, which is really the poorest of the poor in the Bahamas. And these are folks who don't have any, well, they just don't have any rights. They don't have any social services. They're not technically allowed to work in the country. Uh, and so they're just eking out as best they can in existence. Uh, and you walked in this neighborhood, and this is what you said. You said, uh, we were walking through the thin streets, and everyone came out to wave at us and say hello. I was so struck by their attitudes. Bahamians are so polite and welcoming. And now that I see where they live and what they go home to every day, I don't know how they do it. Tell me a little bit more about what that experience was like for you walking into that neighborhood. Well, there was trash everywhere, and I just, I was looking at everything, and I didn't know that I would be cranky if I was living there because everything was so close, and you could barely walk around in your own house. And I just think that if they can have a good attitude about that, then we should be able to have a good attitude about where we come from. Yeah, you, you mentioned to me just being struck by they have so little, and that even though they, they're, they're living without, when someone is in need, they're sharing what little resources they have, whether that's food or electricity or, or even homes. Uh, you, you guys told me a story that when it floods, oftentimes it's the other poor families taking in their fellow poor families who have no place to live. They actually, when we got there, there had been a huge fire, and it displaced 150 of those houses that they burnt down. And all of those families were brought in by their neighbors. So the community is really, really tight, even though they don't even have space to live themselves, and they're bringing in people from other families. Incredible. Uh, here, tell us about the story. So there was one family uh, that y'all went to serve in particular. They, they had five kids that were sleeping on a concrete floor, and y'all were able to build and fund and, and deliver this bunk bed to this family. What was that experience like? 
Yeah, that was amazing. Um, I feel like we were there and, you know, serving someone who needed something at that particular time. But um, a whole team of women and girls built a bunk bed, and we got kudos because they said we were better than some of the guy teams building a bed. Undoubtedly, you probably followed followed the directions, too. Yes. Yeah. But we had to take it apart to bring it, you know, get it into the house. So, um, you know, we had teams of people helping build it back together in the room. And so we were visiting with the family. Um, but when we were putting the bed together, I just kept thinking the room was a concrete floor. And I kept thinking, were those five children sleeping on this floor? Because there was no blankets or anything in there. So, um, but that night, four kids got to sleep on a nice, comfy bed with nice sheets and mattress. Mm-hmm. What a gift. Yeah. What a gift. Um, Carly, tell us, last question for you. How, well, I might sneak one more in, but how has your understanding of God changed as a result of this trip? Well, I took a risk going to the Bahamas, and God has your back. Whenever you do something out of the good of your heart, then God will take you and he'll show you good things. I remember you shared with me uh, when we were talking that uh, you felt like, gosh, um, God's at work everywhere if we'll just open our eyes to see it and be willing to take that risk. What what would you want the church to know? What what kind of challenge or charge would you give them? Uh, you, This is what I get as a, as a preacher. You get to read them the riot act. What What would you want to say to them out of your experience this morning? It's really eye-opening, and I think that everyone should go on a mission trip because most people don't want to give their own money to a cause like that. But when you go and see it in person, it's really eye-opening, and I think everyone would love it. Awesome, awesome. Carly, you said earlier, God has changed you. There's kind of no going back now, is there? You you can't unlearn what you've learned. Uh, Awesome. Well, I am so proud of you guys taking this step, even if it was to the Bahamas. But as we know... Look, there, there's some incredible need, and uh, what an amazing opportunity to get to partner with our missionaries, Gabe and Jan, and their family there. Thank you, thank you, thank you for representing Westlake well. Can we thank them for coming and sharing? You guys are awesome. You guys are awesome. Well, there, there you heard it, straight out of the teenager's mouth, you should go. So uh, don't worry, in the coming months, we're going to be having some info about future trips that you can be a part of, both to Haiti as well as to the Bahamas. Uh, well, this morning, I wanted to uh, jump in. We're going to jump right in with our series. We're continuing in our series on First John, and I wanted to start with a little bit of an illustration. Uh, do, y'all, do y'all remember this, uh, the, the game, I think it was is it called Password, where you say one word and you're trying to get the other person to say another word. So we're going to do kind of version of Password, but this is going to be a fill-in-the-blank version. So you guys think about how you would complete these sentences. So fall, the word fall is, what would you put in that blank? Fall is, think, turn to your neighbor say, what would you put in there? Fall is... All right, so I, I was thinking how I would complete that. Fall is the best, right? I, I know that's two words hyphenated, but it's the best. And then I got here this morning, I actually thought I should have said fall is over, because as of this morning, it was just over. We're into winter already. Uh, how about this one? How about this one? Football is, football is, what would you say? Football is 
Yeah. Uh-oh, I, I don't know how your team, but I, I said football is heartbreaking. Heartbreaking, that's kind of my answer, right? Especially after last week. Football is heartbreaking. How would you complete this one? This sermon is... Now be careful, be careful, okay? <laughs> this sermon is awesome so far, isn't it? Thank you, Jeremiah. It is awesome so far. It's great. Uh, a really important one here. This one's really important. Coffee is... Did somebody say life? Coffee is life? That's, that's pretty close. I said coffee is heaven. Coffee is heaven, right? That's, that's pretty much it for me. Well, today in our letter, uh, we come to a point, in a chapter, chapter 4 of John's letter, where we get this incredible statement that John gives us. He says, God is, God is. How would you complete that sentence? God is. John Reaching this kind of summary point in his letter gives us this profound statement. Something you've probably heard before, whether you're a church person or not, whether you're a Bible person or not, whether you're a Christian or not. This is something you've heard. John says this profound statement that has echoed through the centuries. He says, God is love. God is love. Now, of all the words that John could have used to fill in this blank, Of all the phrases, of all the ideas, of all the things he could have said, why does John choose this word? Why love? Our culture is quite captivated by this word love. We we love to talk about love. Uh, From our rom-coms, to our sitcoms, to our dot-coms, to our our popular music, this... this, uh, This question comes up everywhere. In fact, I think it's most profoundly stated by one of my favorite modern theologians, uh, a theologian you'll know of. His name is Drake. And Drake asks the question, Drake asks the question this way. He says, Kiki, do you love me? Are you writing? Will will you ever stay beside me? There's a profound, I told the kids I wasn't going to do the dance. Because I've been I've been practicing. You know, do, do you know your Do you know your kinky dancer? Uh, do you love me? Are you riding? Will you ever done it? Okay, well that's for later. That's for later. That's for later. Thank you. I know. Doesn't get much better than that. That's it. But you see, whether you're a Drake fan, whether you're a Beatles fan, all you need is whether, maybe you're a George Strait fan, looking for a love forever and ever and ever. Amen. Right? As long as old women sit, or as long as old men sit and talk about the weather, as long as old women sit and talk about old men. Where is this kind of love? And here's the question that's behind all of it. The behind all of it. Right? This is the question that we are all asking. Am I really loved? Am I worthy of being loved? And it's a very real question that we wrestle with in this giant, giant, great cosmos. Is there someone who sees me and knows me and loves me? Or am I nothing more than a random amalgamation of molecules alone in the universe? And believe it or not, this is the question that John wants to answer in chapter 4 of his letter. This question about love. Now, John, you might not know this, John, I mentioned, was the youngest disciple. We think, scholars think, that John was probably 14 or 15 years old when he first met Jesus. And John had a nickname that the Bible tells us, and I just love his nickname. His nickname was Son of Thunder. Isn't that great? 
I just take that to mean he had anger issues. I, I don't know. I just, this is my own interpretation. But son of thunder. Now, John, when he met Jesus, was son of thunder. But by the end of his life, when he's in his 90s, and he's sitting down to write this letter that we have as the, as the book of 1 John, you know how he refers to himself when he appears in the gospel? He doesn't call himself John. He doesn't call himself son of thunder. He calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. Interesting. John had been so marked by the love of Jesus that he had changed the way he even referred to himself. It had changed his very identity. Look at how he opens uh, this passage in chapter 4, his summary of his letter. He writes this, dear friends, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. There's our statement. There's our idea. Now, for some of us today, we're thinking, great, Aaron, so what? God is, I mean, I get it. I've got the bumper sticker. It's on my car, you know, love wins, all that stuff, right? Why is this such a big deal? Well, first of all, John says that God is love. Not that God sometimes acts lovingly. He says God is love. That if you press all the way to the center, to the very core of God, what you are going to find at the very, very center is not a Tootsie Pop. You're going to find love. It's not some kind of bait and switch where where God is one way on the outside, but when you really get to know him, right? It's not like a chocolate-covered raisin, right? That's total bait and switch. You eat it and you're like, what am I doing? This is terrible, right? It looked good on the outside and then... Maybe that's just me. See, John says that God, at his core, through and through, is love. But it's not just that God is love. John says we can know this love. We can know know personally, in a real way, this love that is God. And so today what I want to do is I simply want to walk through these verses in chapter 4. We're just going to go line by line. So if you're a note taker, you're going to dig this. Uh, You can look in the Bible. If you don't own one, you can take one uh, home from us today as our gift to you. We're just going to camp out in chapter 4. And I'm going to share four things that I think John wants us to understand about this love. Because God is love, is the central idea of John's very message. And I want to unpack this with you together. So number one, here we go. We're going to jump right in. Number one, first thing John wants us to understand about love is that love is from God. He opens this passage, dear friends, let us love one another. Why? Because love comes from God. Now this could sound a little bit odd for us. In in our world, we tend to think of love. uh, We think that love comes from being lovable, right? That that if I'm going to receive love, it's because there's something about me that is just so lovable. If I'm pretty enough, if I'm smart enough, if I'm successful enough, or rich enough, or cute enough, or fast enough, or young enough, or if I'm a good enough kiki dancer, then, then I might be loved. Love means there's something we think, we think love means there's something about the object of my love that it pleases me. Something about it that I desire to have it, to possess it. This is why we say things like, do you like bacon? And we say, no, I love bacon, right? 
There's something about it we want to possess, to have. But John says we have it entirely backwards. That we are not loved because we are lovable. We are lovable because he loves us. Now, this is a very profound theological idea, and it's a little bit nerdy. Let me see if I can unpack it. John uses a very interesting word in this very first verse. It's the word that gets translated born of or born from God. It's the Greek word genetai. Now, you already know what that sounds like. Uh, It's where we get our word genetics. It means to come from, to be born from. Here's what John is getting at. John is reminding his readers, he's reminding you and me that we genetai, we come from, we are made in the image of God. In other words, God created us in love. And it doesn't matter how messy our lives are, how distorted our lives become, how many times we fail. God's primary posture towards us is first and always love. Now this can be hard to believe, but this is exactly what John is getting at. And I've got a little story I want to share with you to illustrate how I think this works. I call this the parable of the lost blankie. When I was a little kid, I had I was a big thumb sucker, and I had a little silky. Any other thumb sucker, silky people out there, right? You know, right? just own it. I care. And I took this blanket everywhere. I mean, it was I mean, it was so gross because I would just drag it around. It was just filthy, and it was torn, and there were holes in it. I mean, it was it was and it stunk. It was disgusting, and I loved it. It was awesome. Right? So one day when I was about five years old. Uh, my mom and I made a run to the local Yellow Front. I don't know if you know, that's a local drugstore. And we went to Yellow Front, we were shopping. Then when we left, we drove home and realized that I did not have Silky. Now, the only problem was the, the store was closed. And, and so uh, my mom knew better than to try to put me to bed without that blanket. That was going to be like World War III, right? That just is not happening. And so she did what any loving mother does. We piled back in the car, drove all the way back to Yellowfront, and knocked on the door until the manager opened it for us. We went in, and we asked the manager, we said, you know, uh, have you seen this blanket? He said, no. So he gathered all the employees. Have any of you seen this blanket? They're all like, no, no, no blanket. And then this one employee speaks up, I haven't seen a blanket, but there was that gross rag that we threw in the dumpster. So the next thing I knew, my mom and I were going dumpster diving. That's why I learned what dumpster diving was all about. Now, here's the point. Here's the point, right? Was that blanket lovable because in its own right it was so worthy of love? No. That blanket was lovable because I loved it. Do you see the point? God loves you and me, not because of our own performance, not because of how good we are. Our value does not come from the fact that we are so worthy of love. Our value comes from the fact that God loves us. We are lovable because he loves us. God is love. Love is from God. That's our first point that John wants us to see. It's our theological foundation. But the second move builds upon it. Let me see if I can explain this. John takes us a step further. It's not just that love comes from God, but that love came from God all the way into our world to be with us physically. Love, according to John, is physical. Look at how he describes this here. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world 
that we might live through him. Interesting. Now, I was thinking about this this week. Uh, you know, our world has changed so much in this way. Uh, my, my parents live in Houston, and it's just amazing to me that, that we can video chat. Like, I can talk to them over FaceTime or Skype. Like, that was the stuff of sci-fi movies in the 80s. Do you remember that? Like, we never even dreamt this would be possible. And it really is amazing that we can communicate this way. But in spite of all of our technology, in spite of all the video chatting, all that stuff, we still know that there is something different about sitting in a room with someone, looking at them eye to eye, holding their hand. There's something unique about that physical proximity. You see, what John wants us to know here is that when God wanted to show us his love, he didn't send a telegram, he didn't send a Snapchat, he didn't mail an edible fruit arrangement, he sent his son, Jesus, in the flesh physically to show us his love. And this, this made such a profound impact on John and the other disciples that John actually opens his letter with this statement. Look at how he opens the very first verse of his letter. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have what? Touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. Something about God's love became touchable, became tangible, became physical in Jesus so that we might know it, that we might experience it. And Jesus was so amazing. This is some of my favorite Jesus stories. In fact, maybe you'll know some of these. One time there was a leper that came up to Jesus, had, had leprosy, and you know, wasn't touchable, shunned by society. You know how Je- Jesus could have just declared him healed? You know what Jesus did? He reached out and touched him. Another time, there's a woman, maybe you know this story, she's, she had been bleeding for, for years and years and years, had seen, spent all her money on doctors. She comes, she seeks Jesus out in the crowd, and the Bible tells us she reaches out and touches him, and when she touches his jacket, his cloak, his power leaves and heals her. Or perhaps my favorite Jesus story, when he's gathered the night before he's going to be arrested and killed, and he's in this upper room with some of his closest friends, and they've had this meal together, and Jesus stands up, and he goes over and he gets this jar or this basin of water and a rag. He gets down on his knees and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. This is the image of love I want you guys to live by. There's something tangible, something touchable, something physical about the love of Jesus. For this is how God showed his love among us, John says. I was thinking about kind of this power of touch. The, the, the amazing way that love, uh, it, it, done in safe and appropriate ways, is communicated so powerfully through touch. Uh, a story I heard about from our Haiti team this week just, just blew me away. I had to share it with you all. Uh, one of the things that the Haiti team got to do was serve lunch to a number of widows that come to the orphanage every Sunday after church. Now, for many of these widows, this is the only meal they'll eat that week besides maybe a, a few cups of rice or beans. And they come, and they're, and they're so excited to be served this meal. Uh, but you've got to imagine, these are women who, who have no family to turn to. They have no one in their lives. Uh, no one really to, to love them outside of the body of Christ. And they come to this meal, and after the lunch was served, two of our team members decided that they wanted to make the love of Jesus tangible. They wanted to make the love of Jesus touchable. And so they just thought, well, what can we do? And they said, well, we, well, I've got this hand lotion here. So they took out this hand lotion, and they began going around the room massaging the women's hands with their own 
hand lotion. Just a simple, profound act of tangible love. Literally being the hands of Jesus to these women. Now, lest you think these widows are kind of like, you know, mopey or, uh, you know, don't know how to have a good time. These women were so filled with the joy of the Lord. Actually, what broke out was a dance party. This is missionary dance party. So take a look at this. This is Kristen dancing with the women. Isn't that great? Yes, yes. I told Kristen she could join my Drake Kiki dance team. We're going to do a Kiki dance ministry next uh, week. Uh, It'll be awesome. You see, the Bible says, John wants us to know, God came in the flesh so that we could know this life, so it could be touchable. But there's also a negative side to this that we often don't like to think about, and he gets to it in the second half of this verse. He writes this, This is love, not that we loved God. Remember, God loved us first. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as what? An atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, we talked about this last week. We, we talked about, or excuse me, two weeks ago, uh, that to sin is, is simply, it's an archery term, simply to miss the mark, to miss the target. And what we know is that in one way or another, all of us, every last one, me included, all of us have missed God's mark for our lives. We don't even live up to our own standards, let alone God's standards, right? We've all sinned. And there was something about the work of Jesus on the cross that atoned for that. But what is packed into this word sacrifice is what we often miss. When Jesus died, he died physically. Don't miss this. He was God in the flesh. This was not acting. It was not an illusion. It was a very real, physical, painful, excruciating death. That's what crucifixion was meant to be. In fact, the Romans invented crucifixion specifically to enhance the suffering of this kind of death. They had way easier, way cheaper ways, by the way, to execute criminals and rebels. This was meant to make the pain last as long as possible. You see, Jesus suffered in the flesh. Why? Because God is love. And Jesus came in the flesh to show us that love. Well, John is not done. And he's got a few more things he wants to say about this big idea. And the next is this. He says that love, the fact that we are loved, love is peace. Peace is the result that we experience When we know that we are truly loved. Look at what he says here. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit and we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be savior of the world. There's that sin and atonement. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. John is reminding us here what it really means to be a Christian. Being a Christian is not about being nicer to people. It's not about being gooder. It's not about avoiding bad habits or voting a particular way. Being nice, being good, avoiding bad stuff, exercising your right to vote, these are all great things. These are not at the core of what it means to be a Christian. At the core of Christianity, John says, is this. 
It is acknowledging, recognizing, confessing that Jesus is God's son. That's it. That's what it means to be a Christian. It means saying, Jesus, I know you are who you say you are and that you came to save me. That's it. And if you've never acknowledged that, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that as part of communion in just a moment. But John doesn't leave us there. He goes on. He says that it is also then an opportunity for us to rely on, to trust in this love that God has for us. We acknowledge that Jesus is who he says he is. And then we let the love that he came to give us become the very center of our lives. But John doesn't stop there. He knows as we begin to live and grow in, and to rely on and to trust in him that we will begin to live out of this reality that God is love, that he loves us. This is what it means to abide in. This is what it means to remain in. And there is an incredible consequence in our lives when we do this. Look at what he says next. God is love. Whoever lives in, there it is, abides, re- remains in, relies on. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete or mature among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not yet made perfect in love. Final idea here from John. See, most of us tend to think that the opposite of love is what? We think the opposite of love is is hate. But John argues differently here. John says that the opposite of love is actually fear. But not only that, that, that love has a kind of power to drive out, to push out, literally to displace fear in our lives. Do you all know what displacement is? I was going to do this, and I thought, I'm going to end up making a big mess on the stage. I was going to bring a big thing of water and coffee, and I was a, because coffee is love and water. Okay, anyway, you know, I was, going to, I was going to displace it, and have, but you, you, you don't need that. You've got displacement, right? Here's the big idea. John says, this is the invitation. We are to be so filled with God's love that there would be no room left inside of us for fear. Because perfect love, love that has become perfect whole in us, pushes out all fear. What if God's love really is the answer to your greatest fear? What if? I was thinking about this uh, this week. You know, it's so funny how often we pray for peace. Have you ever prayed a peace prayer? I pray this all the time. Oh God, would you give so-and-so peace? Or, oh Lord, would you just, you know, would you give them peace? And and, I, and look, I think peace prayers are great. Please keep praying peace prayers. They're awesome. But what if instead of praying peace prayers, what if we started praying love prayers? What if we were to say, God, would you fill so-and-so with so much of your love that there would be no room for fear in his life? No room for fear in her life. Can you imagine what God might do? What might God do in your places of fear if you could be filled with that kind of love? your fear of failure, of what others think of you, what would it look like for God's love to displace, to push out that fear? Your fear of provision or what the future might hold or your kids or what their futures might be. 
What would it look like for the love of God to push out that fear? How about your fear of death? What might happen to you next? What if God's love could push out that fear and in its place gift you with peace? I was thinking about the song that we often sing. Some of you might know this song. It's one of my favorites. It's the third stanza that speaks to this very idea. The songwriter writes this. There's no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man could ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. What if God's love has that kind of power to push out the fear? in your life. John says this is the gift that we can experience, but there's one last gift, and this is our fourth and final thing, and I'll just end with this. Uh, He says that when we have been so marked by this love, when we have been filled with love in this way, there are two results. The first is we're going to experience peace. Fear will have no place in us. But he says there's something else too, and it's in the very next verse. He says, uh, we love because God first loved us. The second consequence of being marked by this love is that you will begin to overflow with that love into the lives of others around you. The fact that God is love means that we have a a never-ending source of love in our lives that can power our love for others. So how would you respond to John's invitation today? For some of us, uh, maybe we just need to pause and acknowledge. Jesus, I, I want to acknowledge you are, you are God's son. And, and I want to acknowledge, I want to admit, I, I need this forgiveness. If you've never done that, maybe today as you come to receive the communion elements, you might just say that, God, I, I just want to acknowledge you. For others of us, there's an area in our lives where, you know, honestly, fear just is wreaking all kinds of havoc there. And it, it might be one of the fears I need. Maybe it's a whole other area of fear I haven't even touched on. And what if you just had the courage today to say, God, I want to open up this part of my heart, this part of my life to your love. Would you come and displace this fear with your love? What might God do as we come in worship to celebrate and remember his death for us? Let's pray.